0: Welcome to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We're so glad you're listening. Forgiveness and vulnerability. Vulnerability is something we talk about all the time on this show. And if you might recall, we did a two part series on forgiveness back in the spring. But what is the connection between the two of them? In today's episode, Michael and Evan discuss just how directly related our capacity to forgive others is to our ability to maintain close and intimate relationships. Here to discuss this are Michael McCord and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a special episode of the Not Alone podcast. We hope that you are well. I'm Evan DeYoung, and I'm joined most weeks by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. But big sister's out of town. She left some frozen pizzas for us in the freezer. Michael and I are on our own for this podcast. So, Michael, say hey to the people. How do you feel about Lindsay being gone? I
1: will you know, I'm just sad, but I'm I'm ready to have some uh, some conversation without being told to keep us keep us focused, right? Because we just love to run off all the walls, you know, just here to there to there. That, or at least that's what Lindsay's expecting. She thinks we can't do this, but I'm excited to prove for her that that we can.
0: We can do it, and we will be off topic, and you're just going to have to deal with it, listener. We're so excited. The we're off the rails the goose is loose That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael you're you're on the road we've got a crazy busy travel schedule and everything so thanks for taking the time to call in so if Michael sounds a little different he's on the road but Michael you recently stopped and you got some good road snacks what are your go-to road snacks
1: dude I am alright it's funny you say that because I was gonna tell you this before we started to record I'm really proud both of my children we have a couple rules in our family uh, and one of those is if there is a cherry Coke zero or a cherry vanilla Coke zero, right. Then the rule is to get it. Otherwise we won't get the drink, at least for dad. That's, that's what matters.
0: those are the only rules and that matter. If, if,
1: if, if so so that when we go to a gas station, my son Austin, every time beelines it over to the Coke area and scans for the cherry zero. And then he comes over as if he won the world series. Perfect. holding up the Coke and said, dad, I've got it. I've got it. And and now it's the point where even if I don't want a Coke, he, I'm going to, I'm yeah, going to buy it. that. Yeah. That Victor's cup. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. a good. So anyway.
1: Uh, yeah. Ch- cherry, cherry Coke zero. And then cashews. I, I love, uh, I love cashews. Hmm.
0: That sounds Anytime. good. kind. Well, there's your lesson, parents. Uh, give your children a chance to be the hero in your story in little ways so that they can learn how to scan grocery shelves and feel like winners at the same time.
1: Well, and let me just, here's the second one. Second rule, second record rule. Michael lives by rules most of the time so I could break them, but the other is if Grouper is on the menu, then dad's gonna get it. And so we was just spent, got back from a week of vacation at the beach, and every place we went, Austin, I, he's hes my wingman. He's just looking out for me. He scanned, first thing he does, scans it, and he's like, here's grouper, and here's grouper. Which one are you going to get?
0: Wow. So <laughs> did you eat grouper for five meals, six meals straight? or I did
1: pretty much every day. Yeah, Grouper every day.
0: So you're legally one-eighth grouper now?
1: I am. I am.
0: He's more I grouper we'll than man. You heard population. it here first, folks. <laughs> That's
1: right. All, <laughs> All right, it's right. awesome. I think we're officially off topic, but but this is helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, Just it's the introduction. I think we get a little more latitude.
1: What so, about you? What's your road snack?
0: Oh, it depends. Uh, always gum. Uh, sometimes sunflower seeds if I want to like maximize the amount of chew time and work and fidgety time and minimize the caloric intake peanut butter m ms are way up there uh, and I also will do like Harbo gummy bears, something real chewy that you can't just wolf down or an entire package of mints oh, all good.
1: <laughs> or my favorite after riding with you for years in a car on trips is uh, to get like a breakfast sandwich, take two bites of it, You've stick it under the front seat for seven hours, and then pull it back out and finish it later.
0: Positively slanderous behavior from Michael McCord, listeners. I'm being raked across the coals. My good name is being mismirched. I've been slandered, hoodwinked, bamboozled. I'm being defamed at every turn. <laughs> No, it's uh, all true. It's all true. I I like the temperature. I take the temperature danger zone to be an extension of the Kenny Loggins song from Top Gun. It's something I should participate <laughs> in, not avoid.
1: <laughs> oh man!
0: So I'll I'll intro our our episode here. So Michael and I are doing an episode on. Secrets and confession. Secrets and confession. And this was sparked because Michael has a very deep love for a website that came about. Oh, I don't know how old PostSecret is. Let's find out. There's a website called PostSecret that's been around for a number of years now. And Michael, why don't you explain the premise uh, since it's your first love, and we'll go from there.
1: It's what's true. I love, and the reason this came to mind is I recently moved. I was unpacking some boxes and. Emily had bought for me for one of my birthdays, a, a collection of post secrets so the, the website lives, I think it's on social media and it also has a website, but the idea is that you can send a postcard from anywhere and write a confession, something that you, a secret, something you've never shared with anybody else and something that maybe is really hard for you to say, but the idea is that you can, you can make this public anonymously. And and get the experience of sharing it. And I just, I since I heard about it, gosh, I sure this has been around since like at least the early 2000s. I mean, it's probably 20 years old now, but which is amazing to think about how many thousands and thousands of secrets have been shared uh, with PostSecret. I bet you could find that metric too.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so PostSecret was founded in 2004.
1: Oh yeah, here we go. Yes. I was thinking. So it's um, ten years old. Right? right. 16 years i like
0: you to add. Yeah. Okay. So it started in 2004 and they've had some controversy. Oh, it had a controversy. What's the controversy? Well, you got to think if you're going to give people an anonymous forum to do things, they're going to do things. And there was a murder confession. Right. There, are, there are some
1: things that are very, it could be very inappropriate for different audiences. That's, that's true. Uh, and I'm sure that things have been censored, that, that even more inappropriate things have been shared. Because that's the nature of people, testing the boundaries of civility.
0: Yeah, I think this. I mean, this. I think this is a good place to start. So, from from the controversy and criticism, uh, there, Maria Puente wrote for USA Today, uh, says that telling secrets has no meaning except in the context of family relationships. We live in a time where people have the mistaken idea that if you tell a secret to the multitudes on TV, social media, etc., and you just move on. But opening a secret is just the first step.
1: Okay, I, I mean, I think that's a fair criticism in the sense that what, what she, what I agree with at the end of that statement, that it's just a beginning. But I don't think we should discount the power of beginnings. I would agree,
0: right? I mean, it's, tell me more about for, that.
1: For me, it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it's like the first time you're able, ever able to vocalize, whether that's in a journal, if you're writing as a journal, or you share with a friend, or you send a a postcard to an anonymous person, you know, that the inner struggle that you carried for who knows how long and have been unable to to verbalize that in a way that makes sense for you or, or for someone else, I think is an extraordinarily huge first step, right? I mean, it doesn't solve, it doesn't fix anything. Me, me expressing a, a, a tough, tightly held secret for twenty years on a postcard and mailing it to somebody. Well it doesn't fix anything, it at least takes a huge step forward towards what might bring some resolution.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. We don't and... you think? Yeah, and if you never take the first step, the healing process was never open to you, anyways. So lowering the barrier for entry for someone to take that first step seems like it would have a lot of value to me. And I, you know, we, you you always say we have to move from critique to curiosity, right? It's so much easier to just critique and talk about why something isn't good than actually get into the mud uh, and really do the hard work to understand what benefit it could have. It's much easier to just sit back and sling rocks. So. There you go. So
1: that's right. That's right. I mean, I, I think that's that's the nature of our our uh, critical lens uh, with the world is to, to say what's wrong with it rather than recognizing the good. But anyway, what what were some other are there other other criticisms?
0: Um, no, I think they added some like I think to their credit they added the suicide hotline network connection because they were getting a lot of suicidal. Uh, posts where people felt safe expressing that in that format. And they provided a pathway for them to connect with uh, some resources and things like that. So good on them. Um, obviously, no organization is perfect. And they're trying to accomplish something that kind of pushes the envelope in an artistic way. So that's not going to uh, solve all of society's problems that society can hasn't found any way to solve themselves. So I think it's a little unfair to put that expectation on post secret when we as a society haven't done the work to try and understand that ourselves too. So, yeah, you know,
1: I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. It's, it it's, I think this post secret that it provides a necessary outlet for many people to take that first step towards healing or, or at least, at least openness and honesty Um, But you you shared before the show a a quote, and I can't remember who you shared it from, that I thought was really helpful for today's conversation around truth and forgiveness. Tell me, remind me what what that was about.
0: Yeah, so Dave Chappelle is a comedian, uh, and he is very funny, uh, but also I think has a lot of poignant comedy around life circumstances, the nature of who we are as people and society, uh, which is why I've enjoyed his material over the years. I don't endorse all of the things that he talks about, obviously. Uh, However, I do find most of them entertaining. So uh, whether I'm the gladiator sitting in the coliseum or or the participant in the coliseum watching uh, terrible things happen and just cheering and jeering and thumbs up and thumbs down, I don't want to be that. But uh, I feel the need to kind of do that. And he is on an interview show with David Letterman, and this is an episode on Netflix that you can watch where David Letterman does these interviews. And I got isolated when I had COVID for multiple days. And so to mimic human interaction, uh, I watched these interview shows. (laughs) (laughs) If you know me or have listened to our show at all, you can know exactly why that is so important for me Uh, and so he's doing this interview and the nature of what they were talking about was around cancel culture in itself not directly but definitely addressing it uh, in in the conversation and dave said this and I don't know if it's a quote from someone else or not he didn't attribute it to necessarily a specific person uh, but it came out of his mouth so if you want a primary source past him you're gonna have to ask him uh, and so he said the and I'm paraphrasing here the capacity for honesty is only as high as our capacity for forgiveness so the capacity for us to be honest is only goes as far as our capacity to forgive one another and the idea being that if we don't live in a society that is able to forgive and help people grow and move on we it's hard for us to have that expectation that people would also be honest and authentic because they're going to guard and protect their true selves so because they're afraid that if they do that, or make a mistake, or even make a minute mistake, that they aren't going to be able to be forgiven, so it's better to just live life as a facade. Uh, It's kind of the nature of it. That's the one you were referencing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, um, after years and years of doing ministry with youth and with college students, I have encountered a, it made me think a lot about the parents I've encountered over the years. Right. Uh, And parents who, who, Consistently operate out of a lens of correction and condemnation often yield children who who hide the full truth and even hide themselves from their parents. Mm -hmm. And so, like that, that ability to be truthful and honest and vulnerable and revealing is limited in that that capacity is limited in that family unit because the response to vulnerability is usually correction or condemnation. You Mm -hmm. know, in the sense that. That it's not, it's not, I'm not just here as a parent. I mean, so much of, so much of what we do is help, help strengthen our kids by giving them some corrective actions. But, but the, the, it's, it's how you approach that. Like if you start from the premise that my kid's messed up and I got to try to fix him, mm-hmm. and they're always screwing up. I, I had, I had one parent that when I, I met with them uh, about their son, just said, well, my son's a screw up. So everything he does, he just screws everything up. If you come out of that lens, then then that's how they feel and how they see themselves, and they're never going to be completely honest because anytime they do make a mistake, it's just continuing that line of thought that oh I'm just I'm a screw up and I don't want and Dad's gonna fly out the handle again because right. it's another example of me just being you know a loser kid.
0: Um, oh.
1: And I, those are exact words that that Sue's over the year have used because of because of the way parents. Uh, sometimes interact, and, I, and you were saying, I think during our pre-show conversation about how much that's like the church too. That so much of the church language these days is really about corrective behavior, correcting behavior, and condemning bad behavior um, using shame and manipulation to try to you know change people, and and that's yielding a result of declining membership and meaningfulness and increase in anxiety and social. Social issues and those sorts of things.
0: So I think it's really, I think
1: that, you know,
0: I think days one is something. You know, and I, you know, I see that in society and definitely in the church. And I think if I'm honest, I'm a fairly imperfect participant in that church system. There's been times and moments where. I didn't really know what to do necessarily or felt the need to respond and I would say I most certainly contributed to that like attitude in certain circumstances because in a lot of ways it's the easiest way to get past something uh, if there's authority and you just need to move on Um, but it is is tough to have uh, that kind of intimate relationship especially as a parent or a coach or a youth minister or a mentor. Uh, and really keep the core person in mind uh, and not to allow myself to identify someone solely based on their behavior, even if it can be what pops into our mind a lot of the time when when we think about challenging situations, there's... Uh, I just think there's a lot of work to be done and it's continual work. I don't think it's the kind of work where once it's you just you do enough of it and then you've completely changed your habits and attitudes, but system change because people change, right? So if systems change because people change, then I've gotta find what that change is for me, make it manifest in the circles and situations that I find myself in. And then I'm an owner, not just a critic of systems, you know, like the church.
1: Yeah, that, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I feel like it's. Uh, we we kind of in this podcast dealt a lot with the system that is the church and the organization that is the church. And, and sometimes I think we're, you know, in light, in light of being critical, I think we could be pretty critical of the organization. Uh, but I remember, I'm reminded that each of us is a part of that. It it, it is an organization of people. And that we do have the ability to to create change in our spheres of influence and in the life that, that we live, and and so I think that's a, I think starting from that place of thinking, okay, that if I really want honest and vulnerable and true relationships in my life, that capacity is really limited by my ability to forgive people and to and to to accept them for who they are without without an expectation that they have to be perfect.
0: Well, you have said that that we've lost in some ways the heart. And the art of confession in our faith traditions and the organizations that we find ourselves in, and I think post secret is a great example of people n- not feeling like there's a place that they can safely do that. But like the ch- this should have been us, the church. Like we, like this, yeah, yeah, this is yeah, our yeah, lane. Absolutely. This is our whole yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, tell can you, can you our, talk a, a little bit more about how you've seen confession in its historical sense be impact what our current reality is in most of our church relationships too?
1: Well, yeah. So, so kind of look back first of all to sort of understand confession uh, is in the in the Catholic Church is a sacrament. It's one of the you know the holy moments of the church mm-hmm. and. In those sacraments, uh, you know, people I think um, you know probably most most recognize like the confessional booth, where uh, right, you go yeah. into this the photo room booth. and off your confession. That's right. The little yeah, the, what looks like a photo booth or a phone booth, yeah. And you go in, and, and there's a priest on the other side, sort of somewhat veiled. Uh, but but the, the premise is that there is a place where you can go to share your your sins your your um, failures your um, bad decisions uh, you know just the variety of the things you're struggling with the the prayers that you you need support with all of those things there's a place you can go like a physical place and a person that will be there that you can share it and you know it, the the pure theory of that i think is absolutely marvelous because to, to know there's a place you can go to 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 share what's what's hurting in your life is 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 absolutely profound. Mm-hmm. But now, what happened, of course, is in that system. There's you know there's all kinds of manipulation because uh, the the sort of the theory of um, confession and so, so as I know it in the Catholic churches is, is about absolution. So like so they're going to absolve you of your sin. So if you if you committed a sin and there's certain actions you need to take in order to absolve yourself from that sin. And so you, you, you know, say some Hail Mary's, you do some act of service, you, um, you know, confess that to the person you've hurt, those, those sort of actions. And so in some ways that confession booth becomes transactional. Hmm. Uh, You tell me this, and then you do this. And I think that's where things start, maybe start to break down because then there's room for abuse and there's room for, rumors and for sharing, you know, in in imperfect systems, that stuff happens. But so as the Protestant church, you know, develops in its early history, it's one of those things that are, that's sort of lost. The art of confession is lost. And, you know, our churches as Methodists and and Protestant churches, they don't have a confessional booth and they don't see it as a sacrament. And it is generally confession is wrapped up in our church today as a corporate confession. So you might've experienced it where, in a, in a communion liturgy where you share common words of confession together. Um, and, and so that's kind of where it's relegated in our life now, which means that there's not really a place or a, a modality or a, a, a method by which the church creates space for to, for people to be honest with what they're, what they're hurting, hmm. what's hurting in them. Yeah. And I think that's a loss overall. I think it's a net loss. You know, if you put it all together, that's something that that's missing from our culture that could be really beneficial, um, especially especially in relationships and interfamily uh, conflict and addictions and those sorts of things. There's just not a place for that to come out. It does. I mean, it's come out. You've been with college students for a long time too, right? Uh, and it does. If you create a space where forgiveness lives and honesty prevails, um, then, then there is a place where confession can happen and people can see and experience that, 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 that process. But by and large, I think a lot of people in our society don't get a place to do that. And that's what, that's what drew me to post secret in the first place because in reality for me, it was like, this is like a modern day confessional booth that is not transactional in nature. Mm. There's nothing required of you to do anything other than to share what secret you have.
0: Right. Well, I I have some more questions about that, uh, but let's get let me let's get to our first post secret post here and and let our listeners experience some of the content that uh, post secret has to offer. I think this one is a good place to start and probably speaks more into how the church functions and a lot of the time how many of us might feel when we get to that confessional part in the liturgy at our churches or we have to confess this person's secret uh, they say my secret i am still a little drunk at my first ever work strategy day my eyes are bloodshot and they're forcing us to write these cards as a team building exercise If that isn't church on a Sunday morning, I don't know. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, that's it. That's it. The uh, That is the forced corporate confession uh, with the reality that it wasn't really... What I love about... What I just love so much about this because it, at the surface level, this is a forced confession that corporate confession that appears to be meaningless to the person right and so instead they are making fun of it right but in making fun of it they're being extraordinarily vulnerable saying they showed up for this completely drunk which says a lot about you know who they are and what they've been through or where they are right now or, or perhaps into some of their own addictions and Uh, you know, because there there are probably not a lot of us who've shown up to work, um, drunk. Um, but then there's probably a lot of some of our listeners who have, who have shown up drunk. And, and so they're not alone. So there's, that's the beauty of it is that we think that confessing may be just a joke, but then actually in doing it, we, we create space for other people to share those same things. And we actually, by sharing that, getting to deal with our own stuff.
0: Yeah, so my question to you then from a theological structural standpoint, uh, you're the expert in the room, uh, if confession is an on-ramp to forgiveness, right, if 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 the forgiveness process is like a highway for healing, uh, if confession is the on-ramp to forgiveness uh, and healing and forgiveness, sorry, if confession is the on-ramp to forgiveness and healing, <laughs> Uh, are are they possible without confession? Are forgiveness and healing possible without confession? Would be my question. Mm. I didn't give you that one in the pre-show, but I'd love to put you on the spot. No way to
1: try to stop me. Is, let me change lanes for just a second. And then, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, that's a that's a wow. That's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question.
1: No, you know, uh, okay, uh, on the my initial response is like, no, 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 I mean, there's no need to make some kind of public confession, but you didn't ask public confession, you said confession. And I think if if we think that forgiveness, so it depends on how we define forgiveness, right? If we, I think some people, some people might believe that forgiveness is a transactional relationship. Again, like if, if I tell our Creator, this is what I've done, and the creator will forgive me. And that will enable me to inherit eternal life or some kind of like elevated sense of being and status, right? If we we think of, we think of often, I think uh, heaven and forgiveness can be turned into sort of commodities that just like, um, you know, the cost of gas and the things we have to do during inflation to make ends meet, you know? and if that's the basis of it then then you know it's a perfunctory thing that has to happen mm-hmm. but but honestly it, you know my view of forgiveness is really about the internal work uh, of of our our lives with our creators and our family and our communities around us and in order for us to be uh, to go back again to be on, in order for us to be truthful we have to experience forgiveness and if we in order for us to offer forgiveness we have to be truthful these things live together in, you know, in in relationship with each other, and so if we want to have honest, fulfilling, whole being lives, both with ourselves and with each other, then confession absolutely is essential in that healing and forgiveness process.
0: Okay, so let me try and jump, keep up with this your, your seminary degree here. So eschatology is the part of theology that deals with faith, judgment, and punishment would you say that the way that we interact with confession is primarily more with that lens in mind?
1: Yes, it is avoiding punishment. Okay. So a lot of people would view confession and forgiveness as an avoidance of punishment.
0: Would you draw a distinction? Which is, if between... you
1: think about like I'm just thinking like so for a, a good example that I, I hear a lot. And even I do it, I, I do this with my own kids. Like my, my eight year old says something mean to his sister. And I'm like, you need to go tell her you're sorry. And then if you don't, if you don't go apologize, then this will happen. Mm. You know, that I, we often, I think that's how we think about forgiveness and punishment in, in eschatological terms and in, in the, in the world of, of of our theological being is that, you know, confession, forgiveness, those things are just things we do to avoid punishment.
0: Right. Okay, so then in a confession sense, uh, would you draw a distinction between like a creator God being forgiving confessing and forgiving us and then confession as it relates to interpersonal interactions and conflict uh, obviously they would inform each other are they the same process or do they maybe that's where we would say you know if you if you have a a beef with somebody and relationship is severed that's going to require some interpersonal confession to to move into that healing process it can't just be internal or where do you land on that
1: yeah, I mean I think I think probably both things could be true at the same time. There. Lindsay was with us today. Thank you, Lindsay. I, <laughs> I I mean, I think that in some cases, when I've really harmed somebody else, I need to first realize the hurt I've created. And that realization is often manifested through through conversations with people that I know, love, and trust, who who may also include my our Creator God, right? You know, the, the, well,
0: technically that, He's always there. The
1: God so. helps us in our, <laughs> in our in our in our relationship.
0: Can't really hide it.
1: <laughs> God helps provide Scripture, church, relationships, community. Those are those touch points to help me realize, ah, I really did hurt this person, and. And then it's, that is its own form of confession, right? That, and my first, I'm confessing to my community, to my family, to myself, to my creator, that I have done this and I've hurt someone. That often leads to right. confession to that person as well, that I've realized I've done this. And in so doing that process, it's, it's about a, it's, It is it's about healing my own hurt
0: sure. and also
1: mm-hmm. hopes that it will heal the hurt that, mm-hmm. that's created between us.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's shift gears to our next post secret submission, uh, and this one deals in a way where I don't think there was a, like acute or specific harm done. I think this confession. Well, you know what? I'll leave space for it to say what it's going to say, and then and then we'll talk about it. Uh, this uh, post secret is on a postcard of of uh, some artwork by I think Frida Kahlo. Is that how you say that? Frida. That's right. Did I pronounce That's the last right. name right? Sure. Okay, great. Apologies. If not,
1: someone can correct it. That's right. Apologies. I am uncu-
0: sure. uncultured, uneducated <laughs> swine. <laughs> and uh, here we go. Uh, so I just wanted to give you the context. It's a handwritten note around the margins of this picture. It's a very nice picture. I want my child's birth mother to know that he is happy, healthy, and loved, but we don't know who she is. I promise he is the center of our lives. That is so Doesn't sweet. Doesn't it
1: just take your breath away? That is. So... Doesn't it just take the breath away?
0: But but it, it's not it's You know, so t- so many times when we think about confession, we think about you. You hurt me, right? Now there's still I think there's pain right. in in this in this confession but it's not about reconciliation of acute harm it's it's this it's this longing for for something greater for this person to have this potential void in their life made whole i I just I, i thought that was a really interesting twist and made me get out of that confession is when someone does bad loop
1: that's right so you're so you're saying maybe confession is not just confessing our sins, but confessing our joys. Not just confessing the brokenness of relationships, but also connect confessing the wholeness of those relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think and I think sorrow and fear um, is a big part of confession as well. Uh, for example, there's another one that is a picture of a bunch of playing cards stacked up in a tower together, and the, it they just says this, I work in a house of cards, and I hope I can retire before it collapses.
1: I saw that one, and I thought immediately, I wonder if they worked the United Methodist Church.
0: No, we're going to be <laughs> fine. <laughs>
1: No, but the fragility, like I, I think of so many people who live in careers. I think higher education is another house of cards that that I live in. That that people feel like I don't know if I have a future in this kind of work. And um, I thought that was a really that was a really that made me stop and think about my own. And I think that's a a a, a recognition of fragility that nothing feels certain anymore. And and we're just longing to get through to the next place where we feel like we might have some more certainty. I think a lot of people can, can feel like they might be in that spot.
0: Yeah, here's another one. I see couples everywhere. I always think there must be some great universal, all-encompassing, all-encompassing secret to couple them, and everyone is in on it except me. And then they drew a little mm. arrow and a doodle that says totally out of reach, and it's a heart.
1: I think one of the first Post Secrets I read was from a, an 89-year-old man who had something very similar to say about his life as a single person and the regrets he had for not prioritizing relationships and not believing that he could be in a relationship. Mm. And I think those that it was so poignant for me because I think I hold – at at least then and I probably still do now senior adults with this really high esteem of wisdom and, and to see that kind of like, you know, vulnerability and kind of sadness, great sadness over that experience of of singleness and not, and believing that was a secret and revealing that secret for the first time of that, that sadness to, to post secret. It just, it kind of, it just made me pause and see people, um, that all of us who all of us carry carry this stuff around with us, you know,
0: yeah. like no one's immune from it. No, it's true. Well, and I think that initial challenge of getting over the stigma and actually confessing—I think in a lot of ways we become very desperate for it, and the longer that we allow it to. Linger and fester now. I'm not saying we have to immediately go out and confess and we have to rush ourselves to be ready Right, that's a personal choice and process, but I think this next one really encapsulates that Almost desperation that we feel at times the need to confess and and to be heard and express ourselves It's a picture of a mountain and it says I know you read post secret So I just want to tell you I forgive you and I don't want to leave for the army hating you Obviously this person did not feel comfortable sharing that directly. I would assume if this was the avenue that they're taking uh, and so this hope that I'm gonna put myself out there in this third party way and just praying that that will be enough to break the ice and maybe we can have a conversation about that if that that's a very, tight encapsulation of some of the challenges and experience that i think that we can feel when it comes to confession what do you think about that one
1: well it made me think about like the uh the dear Abbey mm-hmm. columns that used to you know those those columns in the newspaper i don't even know if they exist now i oh they do big time I, okay well it's good Where you write to dear abby or dear evan and say that's what we should start dear evan uh but but you basically confess in some kind of form a challenge you have within, in your relationships with other people or in your family. And, and you sort of do this in hopes that, that while you're sort of absconded, like you, you don't really know who's, you're not, you know, it's, it's a sincerely yours, brokenhearted husband, <laughs> right you know, it's, it's not, you know, that, that kind of thing. And they write a response that is is insightful and helpful. And, but you, what you're really hoping, I'm guessing, I've never written one, but I'm guessing that one uh, might, like this person, might be hoping that that loved one reads this. And what that reminds me of is how many relationships I've been part of where being open and honest and vulnerable didn't exist in the kind of resentment wall that built up. And you just wish, like you, if you've got the couples on by themselves that each would say i just wish they could understand what i'm going through but they didn't know how to communicate that and how for and the flip side of that is they didn't know how to hear the other person's side either mm-hmm. you know so that i think that's the that's the thing about confession it's a it's a two-way street it's you have both those who are speaking and those who are listening and and that's um that's an important part of of those relationships of, of marriage, or any significant relationship to that
0: Okay, so here's another one that I think deals more with fears, and I think this one captures it really well. It's a picture of an American flag on the postcard, and written in the white stripes of the American flag are the words, I am a firefighter. I am afraid the day might come when I'm not as brave as I am supposed to be. I'm a firefighter. I am afraid the day might come when I'm not as brave as I am supposed to be. That fear that I that I might not be the person or step up in the moment that I think I could be, the fact that that is also confession, that fear, the uncertainty, uh, you know, mental fortitude and unwavering support is not necessarily strength or, or bravery, right? Like, that's not necessarily how it is. But we get I think I get caught up in that. In a lot of ways. I thought that one was was a really good illustration of those fears, confessions. I
1: think I gets that like, a, a very primal kind of, like I not feeling enough, mm. whatever that enough is, like, not creative enough, not strong enough, not brave enough, not not loving enough not forgiving enough like just not being enough is is one of those baseline kind of underlying fears that so many people have it's such a common experience and yet to be able to verbalize those sort of existential fears it's just not readily acceptable for for people to do that It, it doesn't feel like it is you know in in our society Certainly not for a firefighter to be, to be like, you know what, I might not be brave enough to go into this next fire. And that scares me, you know, to, to talk about that.
0: Yeah. And that's a lot to have, like primarily internalized. I don't want to brush past talking more about the fears and how that should be an essential practice for confession for us, but it's made me wonder if being able to identify things that are really more inside of ourselves that we're fearful or hesitant or scared of in a sense of confession, that that might help build the pathways and behaviors to be able to lead to that more interpersonal confession in a way, because it almost feels like a healthy internal practice that can inform interpersonal practice.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I I mean, I think that's what feels to me in this whole practice of the whole secret. Is, is really, it's, it's the same as journaling. I think journaling, too, getting people to write. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is someone who's dealing with, like, you know, childhood trauma or childhood challenges or experiences when they were young or just, old, you know, previously that have happened to them that have been really hard or traumatic to get through whether that's theological personal interpersonal is to to write a letter to that child or to your child self you know from this vantage point Hmm. what would you what would you want to say to them wow that you've learned going through that and it's again like it's just another form of getting to my experience with people is that we hold a lot of thoughts in our head all at the same time and that but we don't ever actually put them down on paper. And there's a different function, a cognitive function, when we're thinking about things than when we actually put them into written form, whether that's a handwritten form or, or, or typed or, or even other aesthetics, you know, like, like art and, and music and those sorts of things. Like there's a transition that happens cognitively when we take these thoughts. That are sort of there when we put them into some kind of form and and i found that for a lot of people just that that internal process of writing down their confessions or uh, and as we talked about confessions are a wide range of things it's not just bad things but also the good things but yeah. confessing what's good in your life what's, what's hard in your life like putting that down on paper really it begins the process of healing in yourself because you actually were forced to put into words, this is what I'm feeling. It's kind of like the feelings wheel, right? If yeah. you, you had to write it down and you had to spin the wheel and find what's that actual emotion that's attached to this event. And then when you do that, it just starts to change and unlock things for you mm. that you weren't able to to see
0: before. Yeah, it's very rare we improve in life without practice. I am one of those people who believes every time and my expectation when I arrive at a situation or an activity and I haven't practiced that I am magically going to be better than it at it than I was before. <laughs> and it can keep us from, it keeps me from trying new things because I don't want to try something until I'm good at it. But the only way to get good at it is to keep trying it. Right. I mean, that's the, that's a barrier to get the ball moving. Uh, and it seems like this would be deeply, uh, inhibitive as a practice for confession and interpersonal relationships and forgiveness, if I can't even do it internally. And it's just me. Like there's, if I'm unwilling to engage in any vulnerability, I, I can't really have the expectation that I'm going to have this excellence in confession in my life.
1: That's right. Like, so, so maybe to, to pivot that earlier quote is your capacity for external vulnerable and, and, and real relationships with other people, it's completely dependent on your capacity to, to do that internally first.
0: Mm. Okay, so let's go back to the fact that the there's an interconnected relationship between the capacity for honesty and our capacity for forgiveness. As I read this kind of one, this is the last one that I have. It is a wedding invitation. And it has a paper taped over everything except for the first names of the what looks to be the bride and the groom and so it just says wedding ceremony and then has two names and then you can imagine it's kind of covered up and it says speak now or forever hold your peace our family is too afraid to tell him it's a big mistake wow So for me, what this sparked is in thinking about the way that we talk about other people and forgiveness and being wronged in our lives with those that we really care about, in some way has to inform their level of comfort and safety in having those conversations with us. For example, the way we talk about our coworkers or our friends or our family members with other friends or coworkers or family members, I wonder if in needing to you know, talk through things or vent, as a lot of people say, in some ways, we don't model a lot of charity and we create this sense of fear or I, I'll just speak for me, I as a human being create this sense of fear of those that I love and that are close to me that I'm going to regard them with the attitudes in the same way that I'm regarding this other person. So in the way that I handle other situations that are unconnected, how are those related to how it's impacting? my relationships and the conversations that i have with those that i would feel comfortable confessing and being vulnerable with what do you think about that am i thinking in the right way here where should i where should i tweak that
1: yeah i mean i think all these things are so interconnected you know and they they're very real what I—I'm I, sorry. I kind of I kind of started thinking about that that wedding invitation and that confession. Um,
0: yeah, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what what that made you think of too. We've, that's kind of my. That's where it took me. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I so I in similar length. So I I'm thinking about how many times. So there there is this art of. I guess there's probably an art to confession too. You know to. To be able to say your piece, in their, to use their words to say your piece. Uh, um, for now, say your piece for how do they phrase it?
0: Speak now or forever or hold your. Speak peace. now or hold your.
1: That's right. Yeah. So to to say your thing to to what you believe, but then also having the ability to step back a bit mm. and allow people to make their own decisions because. Particularly in these family weddings uh, that I've been part of, there are—it seems to me that it's not uncommon, shall I say, <laughs> for <Yeah. laughs> for one family to for a family to have certain feelings about the other family or about the the person whom they're marrying, and believing that they're bad um, and it's a mistake. And they there are two things that happen. One is. They never share that their their reservation, and they hold on to that resentment, and it just stays with them. And perhaps it is a really valid sign of like an abusive spouse, or controlling, or toxic in some way, addictions, and those sort of things that that maybe maybe the your loved one doesn't really see in their their future spouse. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but then the other side of that is that sometimes I think we we you know it's it's hard to take hard for us to step out of the situation and allow people to make their own decisions. Right. And so not, not only will they make this confession, but they'll just keep making it over and over and over again. And, and in turn that, that creates division in those relationships and you lose your place to help influence and support that person. And if in fact, that relationship does go poorly, yeah, you know, like it, it creates a division within us. So we can use, I guess what i'm saying what i was thinking is that confession can also be a weapon yeah uh, and a sort of a backhanded uh confession that's really about telling somebody else that they're not right
0: oh weaponized confession that's a new one i mean it's yeah, not, that's it's that not prayer a new concern. occurrence isn't that we, what have prayer? A, we haven't that's defined what, weaponized confession yet
1: <laughs> but that's what isn't that so many times it's what uh you open the doors to prayer concerns in a church community and all of a sudden you're finding out what sister's been doing or you know it's, it's a it's oh it's yeah. a, a so confession true. of other people's sins uh and heard that that you're using and using prayer as a as a tool for sharing other people's secrets
0: yeah that's most manifest um, for me in middle schoolers prayer requests uh pray for my mom because she won't let me x y or z
1: um oh oh man i i yes Children, there's no, there's the, the, the same filters don't exist. And so, you know, I, I've, I've had children say things, family secrets that were really, really, really profound in the middle of a prayer, you know, prayer concerns kind of space. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that's we, why
1: they say don't ever ask an oh, don't ever ask open-ended questions in children's moments, by the way.
0: Oh yeah. Because just
1: you can't control what they're going <laughs> to say.
0: Yeah, I get nervous every time those little <laughs> angels get up to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Who never knows. So, what I, you know, moments of beauty yeah. or terror could be evoked.
1: That's right. It can be both things. Uh, either thing could come out. You could be like, "Oh, that's that's the sermon for today. We're done." Or oh my
0: gosh, I'm so glad that's not my child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad this is. I'm glad this is over. Yeah, I get really nervous yeah. at any kind of open mic uh, moment, especially like weddings and things like that. It's uh, you're rolling the dice on that one, folks. You're rolling the dice on that one. Well, Michael, as we kind of uh, wrap up, what are your closing thoughts, takeaways? Anything else you 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 wanted to add, or was there another post secret that I didn't mention that? That you felt like really stood out to you. What did we miss?
1: Well, um, let me let me think here for a second. What I was thinking about how I'd like to close this for us to have a little conversation about so 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 what conversation. So what? Like what what do we do with this? What can we personally do um, to to I don't know um, be what's a good word for this to be conveyors of confession, to be um, supporters of people's openness, to, to, to practice more honesty and forgiveness equally? What what are things that you think we could do in our normal relationships to be those kinds of places for people and for ourselves?
0: Okay, I have, a, I have an idea. Uh, what if uh, you and I make a pact and challenge and confess to one another that uh, in the next week or two, we're gonna find someone that we are close with, and it's, we can't be each other. <laughs> Has to be somebody else. Uh, well, dead
1: is all I got.
0: And yeah, not our yes, spouse. I think spouse counts. Spouse counts.
1: Okay,
0: spouse counts. Uh, but uh, up to you. You do. You do. You. I might. I might choose spouse. Uh, and we do a firefighter confession. Um, the I'm afraid. That the day might come when I'm not as brave as I'm supposed to be let's if the, if we say that could be a good on road to Build the practice and in a safe and vulnerable way, right? Then I think I think we have those I think I identified kind of three loosely that I'm gonna have to think through and kind of Really help solidify, but I think I think we, we I think we take a step and we find some of those things in our lives and let's 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 have a nice conversation with a with a friend or somebody that we're close with and let's just do that let's practice and commit to do that personal confession and then let's see how it goes
1: okay i think that's good i think that's good and um i'll be interested to know how that goes and i think you're right there 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 uh, there are a few things when when we wrote that firefighter's confession that I think um, kind of stirred in me as well. Um,
0: I think I know who I'm going to confess with first though. I think I'm going to start with the dog.
1: That, that is a perfect see. That is absolutely true. George, George is, is the, the one that living being in my life that will take absolutely everything and and practices. uh, Well, I guess, well, I think George is pretty honest with his feelings, too, with me.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, I'd say um, so.
1: He holds honesty, honesty and uh, forgiveness. He's definitely forgiving. Poor guy.
0: If he gets... Now, this you is know, to tie in the my... Evan throw-up <laughs> analogy. Right. If he throws up in the middle of your confession, don't take that personally. It's probably not a reaction okay, to what he said.
1: Right. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope we didn't go too far off the rails. I'm a little disappointed because I did feel like we might get some more of your... You know, throw up analogies, uh, you know that kind of thing into it. But you did, thankfully, get in the last minute pull that one out. But
0: yeah, um, maybe the day, maybe right?
1: will be proud of us. For this episode.
0: I think I think she will be proud of us I think well Lindsay we're proud of you and we miss you and we're grateful for you and if you listened this far in this episode here's your here's your big shout out um, and thank you listener That's We right hope that you are well uh, and we're looking forward to more episodes for the season we're enjoying making them and producing them it's been something that we've enjoyed continuing to do so Michael I'm grateful for you thanks for all the wisdom and honesty in your experience.
1: Yeah, and if any of you want to treat us like a pet secret and send us an anonymous uh, email or uh, postcard, you want to share it, uh, want us to share it on on the, the podcast, or just share it together. I think all of us are looking for places like we can we can share ourselves with others. We would love to, to be that place for you too.
0: Absolutely. Thanks to Justin Patton who produced this episode. Justin, we love you. Thanks for doing the music and everything too. We appreciate it. Uh, and we're looking forward to seeing everybody next episode. And we should have Lindsay back. So we'll see you then. Bye bye, everybody. You don't want to say bye, Michael? Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for being <laughs> <Perfect>. with us. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> <laughs>